Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. The first thing I need to address today is something I can't believe how many questions we've had about it, calls more than we've had on any other topic in years. City is changing the double cash visa. So the question is, what does that mean to you and me? I actually have one of these cards. I'll tell you what I think I'm going to do, how it affects me, and what you need to know about your own card if you have a city double cash. And later, there's big happenings in the airline industry that could have an effect on your wallet. Two airlines want to merge. And so to a lot of people, it makes something twice as bad. It's Spirit and Frontier that are big sources of complaints. You put them together, did the complaints square or do they double? What happens? I'm going to tell you what it all means and where we're headed with airfares generally in the industry. So never underestimate the ability of MBAs to really screw something up. Citibank has this intensely popular product called City Double Cash. I mean, it couldn't be easier. You get 1% cash back on everything you buy, and then another 1% cash back when you pay your bill. 2% cash back. I mean, they could be simpler. They could just say, hey, you get 2% cash back on everything you charge. But still, it's simple as could be. And it shows something to me about the lack of trust in institutions that people have, there's been an uproar uh, for a couple reasons. One, if Citibank did a worse job of explaining the changes with double cash than they've done, I don't know how they could. So all those MBAs, you need to go back and take Mrs. Wilson's English course from junior high school and learn how to write a simple English sentence again because the explanation is terrible. And so the explanation's been so bad that people have automatically jumped to conclusions that the card is going to be something you should dump, that it's losing all its benefits. And Krista, I got a kick out of this. You know, there are all these, like we do this stuff on Clark.com where we review credit cards and there are lots of credit card review sites. And I've been reading how they've been covering the double cash story. And what's been so funny is that the writer will say, well, you're still going to get 2% cash back. It's just you got to go through an additional step to get your money. And then people were writing responses 
I read three different of these reviews and people were writing in the comment section, no, you're wrong. They're taking it away from us. And we're only going to get 1% cash back now. I don't know why you think we're still going to get 2%. I mean, okay. So first things first, Citibank, unless your real intention is diabolical with the change in uh, double cash, unless you're planning as a second step to degrade the cash benefit, why would you take something that people just understood what it was and make it totally convoluted by tying it in with this program that Citibank culturally is all tied into this thing called thank you points? And they're pushing cards that have thank you points. So with the double cash, what happens is you now have thank you points instead of direct cash. And you can convert your thank you points directly at the same ratio to get your cash back. You just have to go through the extra step. But wait, there's less because (laughs) Citi didn't give you the full suite of thank you point benefits where you can convert to other things unless you then apply for a second Citibank card that is a one that is tied solidly into thank you points. So you just get like a teaser course where you can turn your points instead of into cash, you can turn them into like JetBlue miles or a couple other things. But the ratios of the transfers are pretty crummy from what I've been able to decipher. And so what you want to do with your Citibank points at this point, unless you have one of those thank you cards that opens up a whole suite of conversions you could do, is just turn it back into the cash. You're still going to get your 2% cash back. But my goodness, what is it with these big bureaucratic banks that they can't come up with a good product and something that's simple and people can understand and just run with it. Why would you squander so much goodwill you built up with people and make this something that people can't trust and can't understand? So for now, I want you to tell you, City Double Cash, still a great card to have. You just jump through that one extra step that they very poorly explained to get your cash. And you're going to keep yours. And I'm keeping mine, and you still get the 2% cash back. Uh, The fact that I've got to go through the additional step annoys the daylights out of me, but but it's still there. You still have your 2% cash back. And uh, in this case, I ask you, trust them, at least for now, unless there is another shoe to drop later from City. But for right now, it's still a clean deal, still your 2% cash back, just one extra action you have to take to claim your cash. Vaughn in California says, I like the idea of using major gas station credit cards and paying them off each month to track my gasoline expenses. However, with gas stations now accepting MasterCard and Visa, is it even advantageous to carry their own in-house credit cards? Do their cards negatively impact my credit? So... Do they negatively impact your credit? No, they're considered to be junk credit. If they're just, if they don't have a Visa MasterCard logo and it's what's called a monoline, it's a card that's only good with that particular gas station, then it's 
not considered to be first-tier credit. It's not considered to be major credit. So the other problem is that when you have a monoline card that's only good at a particular station, you're missing the opportunity to go where the gas might be cheapest. And if you are a Sam's Club or Costco wholesale member, particularly Sam's Club gives a better rebate on gas than Costco, um, using their card, the Sam's MasterCard or the Costco Visa, when you buy gas is a much better idea than having one of the monoline cards for a particular station because then you can go pretty much anywhere that because almost every gas station accepts Visa and MasterCard and you're able to get the really high rewards, 5% cash back on every gallon from Sam's Club, uh, typically 4% cash back at Costco. This is from Marta in Ohio. Last fall, a credit union sent me a credit card offer in the mail that gets 2% back in points. I accepted the card and charged a lot of money on it. After charging all this money and not getting any points, I called them. They said I accidentally chose the wrong card, and that's the breaks. I told them all I did was follow the instructions on the flyer. I did not know that choosing the wrong card was a thing that could happen. So I canceled the card. On my final bill, I left an amount unpaid that equals what I believe they owe me in points because their flyer offer was a bait and switch, and I sent a note explaining this. Now they send me a bill every month, and I send them the same letter every month that says I won't pay. What can cause this to end? So I realize you're very unhappy with the organization that offered you the 2% card and then said, ah, well, you applied for the wrong one. You're not getting your 2%. You're withholding that. This can destroy your credit. You really need to just say this is one of those breaks in life. They took advantage of you and your feeling. Pay the balance and be done with them. Um, this is an unusual circumstance you describe, and I'm sorry that you got rooked out of the reward money you expected, but you're going to end up punishing yourself a lot more than they're ever going to feel it. So just pay it. And this is from Albert in Georgia. I just received a valid Visa debit card issued by Walmart at my home address. However, the card is issued to another person who I don't, don't know. Side note, I don't hold any debit cards for myself with Walmart. Albert, um, I don't know if there's any criminal attempt with this, anything going on that is uh, any kind of what's known as synthetic identity theft, which is where someone uses your address but their name to try to throw the track off if they're engaging in some kind of fraudulent activity. But as a general rule, you would be receiving other odd mail for this named individual at your home, including uh, credit cards, potentially uh, solicitations for different things. If you're getting nothing like that, then this is some kind of probably just mess up and not something that involves fraud or criminal intent. So Unless other stuff starts showing up in your mailbox, I think you just treat this as a one-off and don't worry about it particularly. But if other stuff does start showing up, I need you to immediately get focused on monitoring your credit very closely. I need for you to uh, set up 
be great to set up a Credit Karma account, monitor what's going on with your credit, set up credit freezes after you set up your Credit Karma, because with synthetic identity theft, what can happen is someone is using your social security number, but a randomized name is a way of fooling the fraud detection systems that are out there for the credit bureaus and various granters of credit. And so I'm only worried if this becomes part of a pattern. Also, Clark, I wanted to mention that a few people responded to your Valentine's Day pod when you said that you should take your sweetheart out to dinner the night before Valentine's Day, and they thought maybe you were losing it because the day before Valentine's Day is the Super Bowl this year. Okay, so what percent of Americans (laughs) watch the Super Bowl? I don't know. It's roughly, I think, one in three. But then the uh, another third watch just the commercials. <laughs> no halftime show. No, I think I think the audience for the Super Bowl is low one hundred million, and we're three hundred and thirty million. So I did not lose my mind. I did not um, <laughs> on that. But I was assuming that there are a lot of people who don't care about the game, and in this case, actually, it means restaurants would be even emptier. Ah, so are you going to take Lane out or are you going to watch the Super Bowl? Okay, so let me tell you what I started doing years ago, but we don't eat out in restaurants right now because of COVID. That's our family rule. But what we started doing years ago, the Super Bowl kicks off usually 618 to 625 Eastern time. So what I do is I record the game because unlike you, I don't care about the commercials. I just want to watch the football. So we record the game. And then go out and eat somewhere that we'd love to go to. It's normally really busy. And we have the restaurant, almost like a semi-private restaurant. And we eat out and then come home. And, you know, if you start watching a Super Bowl broadcast uh, when it's already early in the third quarter, and you start from the beginning and you speed through all the commercials and stuff, uh, you will end the game about when the game (laughs) actually ends. So that's how you... Take the same minute and generate two wonderful activities in your life. Coming up, I was in an airport the other day, and there was a Frontier flight that people had been at the airport since the wee hours, and the plane didn't fly till 4 plus in the afternoon. After 4 p.m., those poor people had been there since... The plane originally was supposed to leave at seven something. And that's the very same day Frontier announced they were buying Spirit. I got some things to say about that coming up. In the United States, we have the full fare airlines, which are American United and Delta. And then we have the mid-price airlines, Southwest, JetBlue, Hawaiian, Alaska, And then we have the deep discounters. I mean, think about, it's kind of like retail where we have the fancy stores and then we have the mid-price stores and we have the deep discounters. And in air travel, we have several meaningful deep discounters. We have Spirit and Frontier and Allegiant that are the big three. And then there's Sun Country and now there's Breeze and Avalo and... Uh, These airlines all added together, the deep discounters, account for 15% of air travel in the United States, one five. Now, by comparison, you look at Europe, 
where the discounters have been around like ours for a while, they are approaching 50% of air travel in Europe. 50% there almost. is 40-something, upper 40. And then 15% here. I believe the difference is that the three major discounters in Europe have been very, very schedule-reliable. They have all the junk fees, just like we're used to here, but they fly their flights on time, and they fly almost 100% of their schedule every day. Very rarely will they have a cancel. They do a good job of having backup aircraft and crews and all that. In the U.S., I think the reason the deep discounters have such a relatively low market share at 15% is because they have not proven to be reliable. And then when a flight cancels, you're stranded potentially for days because they don't fly a lot of these flights more than a few times a week on a route. So it's so ironic to me, as I alluded to a few minutes ago, that the very day Frontier announced that they were going to try to marry spirit airlines that frontier had a computer meltdown and canceled 20 percent of their flights delayed pretty much everything else endless hours on the day they were announcing this this big marriage proposal and in the united states there's nothing they have to do for you now one of the things that i think has really helped the deep discounters in europe is they're required, any airline in Europe, when they have a big cancellation or delay, they have to pay you big money. I mean, they pay you significant money, and you've got enough money to go buy a ticket on someone else. Um, I was sitting next to, I was, in, I was in the airport in Jacksonville, Florida, and I was taking a flight to Atlanta. And I go by the frontier gate I was talking about, and it was a flight to San Juan, it was supposed to leave early, and, and the plane was just pulling in at four-something in the afternoon to take those poor souls to San Juan, who'd been there all day long. And sitting next to me on my plane was this exhausted couple that woke up early that morning, 3.10 a.m., to be precise, in Miami, because they were flying on frontier to philadelphia that day and they get to the airport they board the plane everything seems fine and then an announcement comes there's a delay another announcement comes a delay and then they say well you know so you could be more comfortable why don't everybody just get off the plane and take all your personal (laughs) items with you (laughs) people are like hmm what's going on so then they're sitting around the terminal for a while then they say this flight's canceled so the couple had a 15 month old child they were trying to get oh, back boy. to. Oh boy. Oh, okay, not with them. Um and they're stuck in Miami, which is uh I was sitting next to the wife of the couple and she said, "You know, if we didn't have a kid, being stuck in Miami would have been just <laughs> fine. We would have just rolled with it. But we needed to be back for our child, wanted to be with our child." And so They start trying to figure out a way home. And the only way they could get back to Philadelphia was they had to rent a car for hundreds of dollars 
drive up the entire coast of Florida, which if you're not familiar with Florida geography, it's a six-hour drive from Miami to Jacksonville. And then they bought these expensive tickets on Delta to go uh, change in Atlanta and go up to Philadelphia. And they were getting home, I think it was 15 hours after they originally were going to get home, something like that. And I mean, this is the this is the issue and this is the problem. But the funniest thing she told me, uh, only funny because it didn't happen to me, <laughs> was she got a, a message from Frontier that they were being billed uh, for their cancellation of their flight, that, as if they oh had canceled gosh. the flight and they were getting hit with this penalty wow. for each of them. And I mean, it's just like nightmare on top of nightmare. So I'm sorry, I know it was a bad coincidence and other airlines have had problems particularly over the last year with flight meltdowns it happened at american twice happened at southwest once i mean happened spirit, at spirit spirit's no blushing bride either yeah, spirit <laughs> had a big schedule meltdown in 21 but the point is this these airlines getting married frontier and spirit getting married doesn't solve a problem unless the owners the managers of these airlines get more schedule reliability because i think about the number of times that someone might say hey you know what look at that fare it's 28 dollars on spirit and it's 150 on whoever and they say well you know last time i flew them I had this delay or cancel or whatever. I mean, the reliability is core and key. There's an airline that people have a love-hate relationship. It's the largest airline in Europe. It's an Irish airline called Ryanair. And Ryanair pretty much treats people, uh, well, like the whole airline's a giant Brillo pad, like scrub, you know, (laughs) uncomfortable to you. But they are so reliable they are one of the world's most reliable airlines they fly their schedule something really has to mess up for them not to run a reliable schedule so ultimately the everybody wins except the full fare airlines if these discounters get it together and run reliable schedules but also i think that that we are sorely missing consumer protections in the united states we used to have a law in the united states that regardless of who you were flying if they canceled your flight they had to buy you a ticket on another airline if they didn't have a flight on their airline that could get you there in a reasonable period of time the airline had to lay out money to buy you a ticket on somebody else and that to me is fair and square You bought a ticket, you were in a contract for the delivery of a service, the airline fails to deliver it, and what that would also do would be a marketplace solution where our airlines would have to become more reliable just for financial protection for themselves, because a quick way to lose a lot of money is to run an unreliable operation and continually have to buy tickets for people on other airlines, but leaving travelers is collateral damage for an inefficient operation is just not right 
I have a few travel questions here. This one's from Tom in Wisconsin. My wife and I are looking at scratching an item off of our bucket list by going to the 2026 Winter Olympics in Milan, Cortina, Italy. We would also like to travel to Southern Germany during this trip to visit some friends. Are there travel are travel packages the way to go? We really have no idea how to plan a trip a trip like this, and would help and any help would be appreciated. Okay, so wonderful question. Um, Going to an Olympics is really great. I've been to one. Do not buy Olympics-oriented packages. They are unbelievably expensive. You are going to find that you're going to want to uh, go to the Winter Olympics where you do not fly into or near Milan. You talked about going to southern Germany, visiting your friends, and now you're on to something because you want to fly elsewhere in Europe from the United States where the fares are not going to be affected and the flights are not going to be um, hard to get by flying to Milan or near Milan and flying into an airport in southern Germany like Munich or something like that could save you a substantial amount of money. And then it's very easy to get from there by train car rental, or even with one of the European discounters I was just talking about to fly in. Uh, The thing you're going to find in uh, Milan for the Olympics is the Winter Olympics don't bring the kind of crowds that the Summer Olympics do. But housing will still be at a premium, and the prices you'll be quoted in 25 for the 26 Olympics will be much higher than what will be available very close to the time of the Olympics. One should be very flexible on booking accommodations. Uh, don't overpay for tickets by trying to get tickets in advance for a lot of events. That the cheapest way to do an Olympics is doing your housing and ticket purchases as close to the last minute as possible. And from Chad in Oregon, I stayed at a hotel that was horrible. I had to leave. I could not check out since there was no one at the front desk. They will not refund my money. It was booked through a website, and I'm not receiving support from them. The shower had no hot water. It was super loud. Tons of other things wrong. I purchased another room and stayed elsewhere. I'm a seasoned traveler, and I know what to expect. Not at all particular for the most part. I still have bites that are healing from this place. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like a nightmare. All right. So, um, Chad, you did exactly the right thing by bolting on the hotel. Um, Even if there'd been someone at the desk, my general experience is they're going to say, how well, I mean, you booked it. We can't resell the room. It's very unlikely that you would have gotten a refund or they would have uh, not charged you for the night if you had gone back to leave the hotel. Maybe that would have worked. Your best hope, since the booking source doesn't care at all, is to post on social media. TripAdvisor would be a great place to post about your experience at this hotel. Stick strictly to the facts don't say things like, I mean, my goodness, I, I expected rats to carry me away. Stick only to things that actually happen. If you have any pictures, post pictures on social media 
of the experience. If the hotel is part of a chain, you want to contact the chain and tell them, hey, you're posting all this on social media. You're getting no help. Do they want to be of service to you on this? So persistence pays, but just be very, very careful that you stick strictly to objective things about the hotel and do not get into a mode where you're so upset that you say things that later could put you in some kind of potential legal jeopardy for slandering the property. And I want to, I'm really sorry that happened, Chad. And again, I'd say this to people all the time, unless you have a great shortage of money in your life, if you're on vacation, end up at a terrible hotel, whatever the consequences, bail and go stay somewhere where you feel safe and it feels like a nice place to be instead of an out-and-out dump. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Clark Howard Show. Remember, we have advice for you around the clock at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.